of rivalry and envy, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will Rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word. We pray that we would not take this freedom for granted, but that we would take each occasion as we hear your word to hide it in our heart, that we would take each exposure to your word, each hearing of it, that we would be those who don't hear it in a sense that we've heard this before and it's familiar and explain it to us something new, but instead that we would say, this is good. I need to hear this and take this to heart. I need to structure and build my life around it. I need to make sure that this is my foundation. And so we pray that you would help us to apply ourselves to this word. There are many temptations to pursue many different goals. We pray that you would help us to set your will and your way and your mindset as our singular focus. Not only because you call us to, but because you have given us good things. Because you have treated us better than we deserve. Because it is what is best for us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to find our focus in your will because it is good because it comes from you. And we pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit and we trust that you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There are things that I would really struggle with if I had to go backwards. Okay, if... If I had to take steps back from 2019 and go back to, say, 2009, 
right? Or 1999, or 1989, I would get back there, right? And I, I lived through 1989, and I lived through 1999, and, and they were good years. But man, I would notice the lack of certain things that I take for granted now. So much so, uh, I think we, we understand this, that when we look at our life and we look at the benefits that, that are there for us, we say things like, I would die without this, right? I would die without Amazon Prime. <laughs> what in the world did I do before this? Like, I would go to stores and buy stuff. Like, I had to, I had to think, will they have the book in the store, can you imagine like that, that, that we would have to wrestle with this, with, this, with this problem? Right now you can go online and you can say, I want anything. And it will be at your house, if you have Amazon Prime, in two days. It will be there if it is in stock. And if it is not, right, you can just click over and pick a different color and it's probably in stock and it will be at your house in two days. And coming soon, right, it will be at your house in 24 hours or in two hours because they are on their game and they are making money like crazy because this is what people want. They want their stuff and they want it now, right? To go back to 1989 and to say, mom, could you please drive me to the mall so I can look and see if they have this book that I want is like, no, I'm not doing this. Nope, Amazon Prime. What is it that you would die without? Can you imagine your life without music, without coffee? What is there that you absolutely could not live without? Is that the focus of your life? Think about the way that you think about your retirement account. I can remember uh, in the big downturn uh, back in the early 2000s, somebody we went to church with came in and said, I lost more than half of my savings. The way that it was there, things were being reported to them. They had thought, I'll retire on this day, in this time, and in one afternoon, what they had and what was projected to be in their account by the time they retired just shrunk. And their confidence and hope and expectation changed dramatically. Visibly shaken by that. What are you building your foundation on? What is it that if it was suddenly taken away, you would say, I feel like I am going to die? Paul is confronted with this exact situation. Uh, His life has changed dramatically. He is in chains. He is being criticized. And he is in the middle of a crisis that is being delayed because he is in prison in Rome waiting for trial. Now, here's the distinct difference in Paul's mindset 
and this is, this is what we've been focusing on a lot in Philippians, then the typical mindset of the world and the mindset that many of us struggle with as believers. Paul had a, a singular mindset, and he is looking at his circumstances and looking at what's coming in the future through a singular mind, saying, I have been bought by Christ. I am his servant. I exist to serve him. And therefore, I look at each and every one of these opportunities through the lens of glorifying God and magnifying him. Now, did he do this perfectly? I don't, I don't think he did. I think that there were probably periods of, of struggle where he had to wrestle through the thinking of, of what was going on. There's a, a passage in, in the book of 2 Corinthians where he talks about the missionary journey in Asia where... He, I believe, was struggling with some kind of physical illness. Sometimes people think that he had malaria. And he said, in Asia, we want you to be aware that when we were in Asia, we despaired of life itself. Right? What is, it, what is he saying there? This is right in the first chapter. He's saying, we wanted to die. Things were so difficult. Like, we just, we, we almost gave up hope. But then he says, God delivered us and he comforted us. And as he goes through these situations and circumstances and sees God's deliverance, his confidence to face each new trial grows. This is what David says when David is in the tent with Saul, right? Saul's like, you are going to need the latest in military technology to fight this giant. Get rid of your shepherdy ways, right? And, 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 and act like a soldier. Here is some armor. Here is a sword. And he says, nope, didn't have any of that when I fought the lion. Didn't have any of that when I fought the bear. And I'm not going to need it when I go and fight the giant. What I need is God. Right? He saw me through this situation and that, and he's going to see me through this. And so there is growth and development as he trusts the Lord. He looked at his chains and he said, even though I have been imprisoned and I'm no longer able to move around and share the gospel, people have begun to proclaim. They're, they're sharing the gospel. And yeah, having critics who harassed him and mocked him and were trying to undermine some of the things that he was teaching, sure, that bothered him and it scratched his feelings. But through that, he says, Christ was proclaimed. The gospel, the good news, was still moving forward even though people were preaching the gospel out of bad motives. And now he looks at this crisis that's before him. Paul has not been released from prison. He's been accused of being a traitor to Rome, of having uh, bad motives, of preaching a different king in a different way, of uh, looking at the Jewish traditions and actually being a, a rebel against Rome and he had appealed to Caesar and his trial was pending and he said in the midst of this Christ is honored that's verse 20 I will not at all be ashamed but with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body and here he says whichever way the verdict goes if I'm declared innocent Christ will be glorified if I am found guilty, and this does not mean, you know, three years in a, in a 
relatively convenient prison. This means you lose your head if you betray Rome. Christ will be honored either way. He's able to say this because he's looking at his circumstances with a a different view, with a different mindset, and that is that he has been purchased by Christ and that the Lord is now in charge of his circumstances. Let's dig in and, and look at what Paul says here. In the face of his critics, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. This is not bad news. That, that people are saying that I don't preach the truth and then they're preaching Christ. As long as they're preaching Christ, I rejoice. I don't care. Let them say what they want about me. That's what Paul says in verses 15 through 18. And then he picks up the second half of verse 18 as he moves into verse 19. He says, yes, and I will rejoice even in the face of this next difficult circumstance. His, his crisis that's coming. Because I know that I'm going to be delivered. He says, I know that deliverance is going to come. I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Their prayers would sustain him. And Christ's Spirit would empower him. I think that the tail end of this verse that somehow Paul's confidence that God was going to work in the situation and, and, and sustain him and deliver him, sometimes it might be like, well, if the end is already determined, then why do we need to pray? Right? Why, why do we need to pray? Because God has already figured out what's going to happen, and it's going to happen, and therefore, why, do we, why would we pray? Right? I mean, that makes sense. If, if I were to tell you your car is going to break down in a week, right? You'd be like, oh, my car, you know, cars are money holes. They just suck and absorb all this cash into them. It's like the black hole, right? You know, but I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. Somebody is going to offer you a car. You're like, cool, worry over, right? If I were to tell you that the car is going to break down, but you can pray that away, you would probably pray, Right? But if I tell you your car's going to break down and pray and then somebody's going to give you a car, you're like, wait, the car's from Jesus, right? Like, not, not from some weird, like, witch doctor or something. Like, it's not, it's the, there's, not a, there's not something odd going on there, right? Like, the car's coming from God. Well, yeah, well, if it's guaranteed, why would I pray, right? You guys aren't saying amen because none of you want to admit this. You're just like, you're like, this is only you. No, we think this way, don't we? Why would, I, why would I pray? But what Paul is saying and says in different places, he urges people to pray because God does things which he would otherwise not do if we didn't pray. And that is some mystery that we don't understand. I believe we're going to get to heaven and he's going to say, okay, you know, we're going to have a worship service and then I'm going to reveal truths to you. Right? And it's just going to be like you're finally going to get the answer to this question. And then we'll praise and rejoice some more. But I think it's going to be like, ta-da! And we're going to be like, how did we not figure that out? And it's because our brains are this big, and God's is this big. And when we get there, he's going to say, here's the answer. We're going to say, that's so, how did we not ever figure that out? And then he's going to say something about math, and mathematicians are going to be like, we could never figure out that problem. And he's going to be like, what's up with you guys? Only Dale is supporting me right now. There you go. The rest of you guys, I don't know what's going on. 
Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I will be delivered from these present circumstances by your prayers and by the power of the spirit of Jesus. Freedom would come for Paul. But Paul's not saying that deliverance is just freedom. That's not what he's saying. He is honestly, at this point as he's writing this, saying that this could go either way. It could go either way. Either way, though, will turn out for his deliverance. How is he able to say this? How is he able to say, I will be ready to go and stand before Caesar and receive a guilty verdict, sustained by your prayers, sustained by the work of the power of the Spirit, or I will be set free, even though this is going to be scary. How is he able to view both of these as deliverance? It's because he looks at his life and he says, I am for the use of the Lord Jesus. Whatever he chooses, I'm fine with. My body is not my own. The honor of the Lord is preeminent. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. This is theological language that shows up in other places. In the book of Rome, he says, whoever calls upon the Lord will not be ashamed. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? The, the burning shame, some of us have experienced this as children and explains so many of our issues, right? You know, we're in class and don't, don't know like sobs or sadness for me here, okay? You didn't laugh at my jokes. I don't want you to say, aw, right? And it's like somebody's handing out invitations, right? And it's like, oh, here's an invitation for you and for you and for you and for you. And they're going down the line and they come to you and you're like, an invitation and like, and nothing for you. And you're like, oh, crush. My soul just falls apart. It, the, the image here is that, is that on the final day, God will call for us and he will say, I'm calling all my children to myself. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going forward. And he's like, yes, you, come on in. And you, and you. And then I get to the front of the line. He's like, but not you. If Christ is in us, if we put our faith and trust in him, we will not be at all ashamed. That's what Paul's saying here. This is my eager expectation and hope. And he's not talking like maybe this is true. He's saying, I know this is true. And so with full courage, now, as always, Christ is going to be honored in my body. He says, I am putting it all on the line. It is all his to use, whatever he chooses, whether by life or by death. His body was not his. This conjures up a question in my mind. Maybe you have it too. He says that Christ will be honored in my body. This is like saying that God will be glorified by this. That God will be, another translation puts it, magnified by it. Right? But how can God, who is infinitely glorious, be magnified by anything else? How can he be glorified by anything else? How can anything else make him any greater, right? Like if something is perfect, 
Let's just say you have a perfect copy of Detective Comics. I believe it's number 27. This is the first appearance of Batman. Am I right, Steve? Am I right? Detective Comics 27, yes. Okay. So imagine you have that comic and it is just in pristine, perfect condition and you think, you know what? I'm going to make this a little bit better. I'm going to get a Batman sticker. I'm going to put it right on the cover. Right? You have ruined it. Right? It is now no longer mint. It is junk. Like, you are dumb. You have destroyed it. So don't ever do that. Like, you know, if, 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 you, if you feel like you would, would, then just please stay away. Right? But how, how, does, how does God become magnified by what we do being imperfect as we are? How does he be, how, how is he seen as more glorious when he is already infinitely glorious? I think the, a bit of the clue is, is included in the word that, that some translators have used to, to translate the word honored, and that is magnified. Because think about the way that magnification works. Uh, we have two kinds of magnification. Right, I'm, I'm rolling into a little STEM lesson here for you, right? STEM is like the future of American education, right? Science, technology, education, and math. I'm giving you a little something here, right? Future of America. Here we go. Magnification works two ways. Microscopes make small things big, right? Through magnification. You may have already known this, but I have just reminded you. But there is another kind of scope that has a magnification power to it, and that's a telescope. And telescopes make big things small and clear, right? The, 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 the sun or star that you're looking at through a telescope is actually a, a, a sun like ours, and if you were close to it, it would disintegrate you. It is a massive ball of incandescent burning intensity, right? It is, it is huge. It would not fit in that lens if you were close to it. But the telescope brings it home to you, right? Telescopes make big things small, and microscopes make small things big. They both bring them into focus and present them to the eye. The believer, the Christian, is a kind of a lens for the world. Because for many, Christ is distant and alien and foreign and does not appear to them as he does to us. The way that believers handle difficulty, the way that they handle struggles and trials is a lens to them that makes a little foreign, alien Jesus look bigger to them. And it brings a distant Jesus into their very life. 
the way that we handle our difficulties and our trials, and this is not to say that if something bad happens, you have to say, oh, praise the Lord, right? Like, this is good at that moment. It's the way that you handle it overall. It's the way that, that you wrestle and the way that you share and the fact that you say, this is my confidence or here is my hope or here's what I'm going to do. That displays the reality of who Jesus is to the people around you who are watching you. Paul makes a, a very controversial statement theologically in the book of Colossians where he says, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ in my body. And people sometimes take that the wrong way and they say you know, that, that they suffer and somehow they add something to what Jesus suffered on the cross. That's not what Paul's saying at all. When, when Jesus goes to the cross, salvation is fully accomplished. He's done everything that's that, that needs to be accomplished for our salvation. For us to be saved, for us to be delivered from our sins, we need to do some very simple things. We need to admit that we have a need before the Lord, right? That he is righteous and that we are not, that we have sinned against him. And he is perfect and we are not. And that we need someone to fix that for us. We come to him needy and Jesus, who lived a perfect life, goes to the cross taking our place. And if we put our faith and trust in him, then he gives us Christ's righteousness and counts us as if we have never sinned. That's how we get salvation. And it is complete. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to fill anything up. So how then does Paul say that he fills up the afflictions of Christ, that he completes what's lacking? Here's the thing. People can't, Look at the suffering of Christ again. It happened once. You and I have never seen it. But we've seen other believers suffer, haven't we? We've seen them suffer and depend on Christ in a way that makes us say, there's something there. Look at the way that they're, they're handling this. Look at the way that God is walking them through it. Look at the peace that they have in the middle of difficult circumstances. Look at them trust. Look at them not lose their mind the way that I do every time something goes wrong. And then we think maybe there's a better way to handle things. The way that we act and the way that we behave and the way that we respond to difficulty or struggle or trial is a microscope and a telescope that makes a distant or a small Jesus appear bigger to other people. It's not just us, you know, striking up conversations around the water cooler and saying, this is what's true, please believe this, right? It's us going through our life circumstances and other people saying, is what they say, what they're pushing me towards, what they're asking me to believe, is that true or not? Do they actually live like it's true? Paul is living like this is true when his very life is on the line when judgment could come and he could lose his head. Christ will be honored through him. He will be magnified. Either Paul is going to emerge from this and say, you know what? God delivered me and I give him all the credit. It wasn't my Wittiness. It wasn't the way that I presented my legal argument. It wasn't, you know, some weird technicality legally. It was God who delivered me. 
Christ would be magnified. People will say, that's amazing. This guy was like accused of, of, of insurrection and everyone who ever does that, Rome takes them. Or he'd be a martyr for Jesus and people will say he went all the way. He gave everything. And so Christ would be magnified. How is he able to do this? It's because the way that he does the math of his life, and I'm not going to launch into algebra here because I will mess it up. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me, I'm doing algebra. I should run away from this. For me, to go on living means that I'm going to make Christ the highest priority of my life. And so if I live, I win. And right now, here I am, magnifying Christ in this trial, I win. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I die, I win. So either way, if I'm set free, I win. If I am executed, I win, is what Paul is saying. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If they let me go, I'm going right back to doing what I was doing before. I am going to preach the gospel. I am going to go from place to place, and I am going to share. He didn't make it where he was headed when he wrote the book of Romans. He wrote the book of Romans and was hoping to get to them so that they could help him with missionary funds and send him on to Spain because no missionaries had gone there. And he's like, people are everywhere now preaching the gospel, building on the foundation that I laid. I was there first. I preached the gospel, and then people are, are, are coming in after me preaching. He's like, I want to go where people have never heard about Jesus. I'm going to Spain, right? People want to go to Spain and look around and eat Spanish food. He's like, I want to go there, and I want to preach the gospel there. Because Jesus, people don't know Jesus there yet. They let me free, I'm going there. Fruitful labor. If I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It means I will continue to advance the kingdom. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. He's like, this is a difficult question. Die and go home? Be with Jesus? Or live on. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to main, remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, I believe that the church still needs me at this point. That I, I, have, I have time left. I have things that I need to do. I find this, it's kind of comical on one level. Like he, it, this is out of his control what will happen to him. And he's like, eh, live or die. I really want to go home and be with Jesus. So death is very attractive. Or I get a fruitful labor. He's like, I really know what to choose. Like the, the Romans are going to come to him and say, execution or freedom? Which would you like? You know, they're not, they're not, they're going to choose for him. But he's acting like he's in control here. Because he knows that God is in control. That is his focus. And either way, he sees advantage for himself. He is trusting in God's goodness and his power. And so he's like, if I die, that's good. That's God's plan. If I'm set free, that's good. That's God's plan. But he states it like he has a choice. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to choose to stick around. Because then you're going to say, God is amazing. He set Paul free. How is that possible that Paul escaped from those circumstances? I want you to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We never thought this would happen. They arrested him. He appealed to Caesar. All these trials, all these difficulties, imprisoned in the Roman bureaucratic system. We just thought that's it for him. He's done. But Jesus set him free. He says he's willing to postpone his departure to be with Jesus. Isn't it a struggle for a lot of us that we're like, we kind of feel bad that we're willing to postpone our departure to be with Jesus? Because we're like, I want to see all four of my kids get married. I want to meet my grandchildren, right? I want to be able to retire. I want to be able to see the pyramids, right? You know, don't put me in a pyramid. Let me look at it, right? You know, I want to, I want to go there and I want to be like, those are the pyramids. Cool. I stood there, and then when movies come on and they've got like pyramids and stuff, you're like, oh, I was there. People are like, really? Right? Back in the 1970s, we'd have been like, let me show you the slides. <laughs> but this is what Paul says. He says, I am willing to postpone the departure to advance the kingdom, to help others grow, to, to see them advance in their faith. He says that he wants to remain with them for their progress and their joy that they would be excited about their faith. So let me ask you this question. And it's good to think about it now and to either make some adjustments or to be solidified in what you are already thinking about the purpose of your life. Warren Wearsby says the test for the Christian is this, how we fill in the blanks. To me, to live is blank. And to die is blank. How do we answer that question? For me, to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. For me, to live is power. And to die is to lose it all. For me, to live is fame. And to die is to be forgotten. What is it that we view as life? Is it our personal safety? Is it respect? Is it for me to live is to enjoy stuff? For me, to live is to play. What is it that we put in the block that comes first? For me, to live is what? Do we echo and share Paul's convictions? I would say most people who are committed believers would say, I can say in my heart, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain on some level. That there are struggles. That there are, are battles. 
And I think that this is something that Christians will struggle with in a rich society. And we are rich in the United States. Jesus would call us to follow him. He would say, whoever would follow me should take up his cross daily. And so as believers, we embrace the little death and we die to ourselves daily. And we say no on things that displease God or things that would take us away from him. We die the bigger death. And that means that we look at our goals and we say, are my present goals, is the present direction of my life a contradiction with Christ's will or is it inconsistent with his will and we die that bigger death and we say I'm going to change my goals and my patterns and my habits and my behaviors because this is where they're going to take me and then there is the big commitment where we say I will follow you and let you lead me wherever where you take whatever you want. You lead me wherever you want. Here's what I believe. If we focus on dying to self daily and allowing God to reorient and to change our goals, I believe that he will give us the grace to make the toughest decisions when they happen. We don't need to worry about what will happen in the big moment if we develop the habits in the smaller moments. And so my encouragement to you is to write this down and think about it. For me to live is blank. And to die is blank. The good news is that God accepts us and counts us as his children if we have faith in Christ. And that his spirit is active and at work shaping us so that we will be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he will lead us as we seek to live that way. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us. We thank you that your spirit is with us and that you accept us on the basis of Christ and that you work in us, shaping our lives, transforming our worldview, altering the way that we think and the way that we approach life, that we might fulfill your expectations and your desire for us. Lord, I pray that that we would develop the habit of saying yes to you over and over as you seek to lead and guide us by your will. We pray, Father, for your glory that we would have great confidence in Jesus' work and less confidence in ourselves and that we would grow in grace as we seek to follow you each and every day. Father, we just pray that you would help us to to continue to focus and to have that singular mind where we say, my life is yours, and that we would surrender to your will. We pray, Lord, that you would make this all so in the precious name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.